0: A unique morning for us in a few ways, but we are going to move to our time in the Word now, and then we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper and sing some more and, and enjoy uh, witnessing a baptism afterwards, and I think you'll find out why the order for these things as we get into the Word this morning. But let me let me begin by, by praying for us and, and asking for the Lord's help in, in this time. Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are, and we thank you for, for your word, and we thank you, Lord, for this incredible story that it tells us, and we thank you that this story is true, and that we are in that story, and that we know how it ends. Jesus, thank you that you came, that you long expected Jesus did come to set your people free. I pray you'd open our eyes to your glory in a fresh way this morning. We ended, we ended our message last week in the, the darkness of exile. Israel once again under the oppression of a foreign power. God silent. The people at the end of every possible rope that they could have grasped at. And nothing to do but to wait, nothing to do but to hope that the son of David would finally come for them like he had promised he would. We ended last week by singing, O come, O come, Emmanuel. That was the only hope that someone was going to come for them. We pick up the story today on an ordinary day in Jerusalem, about 7 BC or thereabouts. It had been almost 60 years since the Roman occupation of of Judea and Galilee began. It had been almost 400 years since the last prophet spoke. And on that day, it was an ordinary day, like we said, and an ordinary priest named Zechariah had his name drawn to go into the temple and burn incense. There was a lot of priests, so they divided up the lots, they divided up the priests into companies, and they would be chosen individually by lot. Zechariah was an older man. It's likely this was his first time ever inside the temple. And so... We can imagine Zechariah stepping, opening up the door that he had seen open up so many times, except this time Zechariah gets to walk up those steps and walk inside this temple that he had been around, that he had served around his entire life, but had never seen inside. We can imagine him walking into this dark gold-plated room, a ceiling six stories above him. As he walked, his footsteps would have been muffled by this gigantic curtain that hung at the end of the room separating the holy place where he stood from the holy of holies. But he would have stopped in front of the altar of incense and with hands... We can imagine shaking from fear. I mean, just imagine him looking around him and taking all of this in. And with hands likely shaking from fear, he would have begun to burn the incense on the altar of incense. But then at some point, Zechariah realized he was not alone in the temple. At some point, he realized there was somebody else in there with him. And this other person was not a human. Zechariah was seeing an angel. Now, I don't know what comes to your mind when you hear the word angel. This is a bit of a pet peeve of mine, but I think it's a biblical pet peeve. Angels are not cute little babies, nor are they blonde ladies in white dresses. Angels in the Bible, when they arrive, instill one consistent response in people and that's terror. Angels, however they look, are terrifying. And when they show up in the Bible and people see angels, they are scared, always, without exception. And that happened to Zechariah here. It says in Luke chapter 1, verse 12, Fear fell upon him. But then it goes on to say, in Luke chapter 1, verse 13, But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, right? So angels, that's the first thing they always say in the Bible. Don't be afraid because people are afraid. And the angel says, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard and your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son and you shall call his name John and you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great before the Lord. And I know there's been a lot that's probably gone through your mind in this last week. But do you remember last week when we read the last words in the Old Testament? The last words of the last prophet of Israel, Malachi. These are the last words of the last prophet spoken 400 years before this. these words were spoken by Gabriel. Behold, listen to this from Malachi, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. And after 400 years of silence, the angel Gabriel shows up and quotes the prophet Malachi to to Zechariah. Quotes those exact words, the last words of the last prophet. Quotes them to to, to Zechariah and says, Zechariah, this is happening to you. This is finally happening. The day of the Lord is at hand. That Elijah type character that Malachi prophesied is going to come before the Lord. That's going to be your son. It's happening. God is on the move. God is coming to visit his people. And you can read through the rest of Luke chapter 1 and see Zechariah's response and some of what happened. Six months later, that same angel, angel Gabriel, appeared to the cousin or the relative of Zechariah's wife, Elizabeth. And with everything that we've heard in our series so far, with everywhere that we've been this fall, let these words sink into your ears and into your heart. From Luke chapter 1, verse 26, these words are printed in your bulletin. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and he said, and said, greetings, O favored one. and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Those words mean something, don't they? When we've been on the journey that we've been on this fall. Do you hear what's being said here? The promised one we've been waiting for. This king that you've been looking for. Mary, he's about to be born to you. Do you think Mary understood what was going on? I think she did. Because do you remember... Again, later on in Luke chapter 1, when Mary goes and visits Elizabeth, her cousin, and she gives an, an explosion of praise to God. And at the end of that, here's what she says about God with what he did and what he was doing by giving her this son. He said, He has helped who? His servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. Do you see how they understood that this son that was being born to him was the exclamation point on this story that God had been telling? This was the long-awaited offspring. He's finally here. I read the Bible for years. And I never really understood what was going on here. I never really understood how these words from Gabriel and then from Mary connect up with the rest of the story of the Bible and show that Jesus, Jesus is the fulfillment of this story. He's the promised king. Jesus is the one that we've been waiting for. He's the offspring of Eve that God promised would come and crush the head of the serpent. He's the offspring of Abraham that God promised through whom all the nations of the earth would be blessed. He's the son of David who God would take to be his son and who was the begotten son of God who would reign forever and he finally, he finally came but the irony that he was born with the animals the irony that this long awaited one was, was put in a trough as his first crib, the irony that this long awaited one, the, the, the main character of the Bible Grew up in a town of, of no reputation, working alongside Joseph for three decades in, in total obscurity. This is not what we would have expected. But finally the time was right. After 30 years, we read in Matthew chapter 3: in those days, John the Baptist, Jesus' relative, perhaps even a second cousin, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent for the kingdom. Of heaven is at hand. And soon afterwards came the day for the king himself to come forth and to be anointed. No oil was poured on Jesus' head, but he was baptized by John, and coming up out of the water, Jesus was visibly anointed by the Spirit of God. And in Matthew 3:17 we read a voice from heaven said, "This is my beloved son." with whom I am well pleased. And then after 40 days of being tried in the wilderness, which we're going to hear about in the next couple of weeks, Jesus began his ministry. And how did he begin his ministry? Again, in your bulletin, Mark 1:14, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God, the good news of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the, what? The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Do you hear over and over again in what we've read this morning, language of ruling, of reigning, of kingship, and of a kingdom. And it's so strange and ironic that, that this language of, of a kingdom is, is, is foreign language to so many of us Christians, especially here in North America today. This is not a way that we're very used to thinking and talking about Jesus and what he does If many of us, including myself, at, at certain points in my life, were to be asked, what is the kingdom of God? We probably would not, wouldn't have had a, a, a good answer to that question. But it's so ironic because as we've seen this fall, the entire storyline of the Bible is a story about the kingdom of God. Now it's true, we, we haven't seen that exact phrase, right? That, that, that specific phrase, the kingdom of God, hasn't been used a lot up until now. But the idea has been there from the very beginning, right? So go back to the beginning. Do you remember Adam, made in the image of God, which we saw, meant he was God's representative and God gave him a commission, have dominion, which is something you say to a king. We saw that Adam, and you can go back if you weren't there to listen to it on our website, Adam was made to reign over this whole world as God's representative, He was a king. This world, God's kingdom. Same thing with Noah, by the way. We saw that royal language was used of Abraham, and then how Israel in God's covenant with Israel, He commissioned them to be a, a nation of royal priests or kingly priests. Through Israel, God was was going to reign on the earth through them, and then of course this theme of king and kingdom so clear in the story of, of King David where he promised to establish the throne, the kingdom of, of his son. The whole storyline of the Bible, everything we've seen up till now, could be summed up as a story of God establishing his rule on planet Earth. In other words, it's a story about the kingdom of God. And as we've seen, God establishes his kingdom through covenants god made covenant made a covenant with adam and noah and abraham and israel and david and it's through those covenants that he builds his kingdom and carries forward its program into the world god's kingdom comes through god's covenants It's a way of summing up everything we've seen in the story of the Bible so far. It's not surprising that this is actually the title of of one of the books that I found most helpful in understanding how to to put together the story of the Bible, Kingdom Through Covenant. That's how we sum it up. And all of this has now culminated in Jesus. He is the king. And in him, the kingdom of God has arrived. And so it shouldn't surprise us to hear Jesus, as we read through the Gospels, talk about the kingdom of God. Over and over and over again. It's there. It's all there standing in plain sight. Hidden for many of us in plain sight. Right? It's there in the sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the what? The kingdom of heaven. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Jesus said, Matthew 12, 28. The kingdom of God has come upon you. We get to the parables of Jesus. Don't, almost every single parable that Jesus taught began with the words, The kingdom of heaven is like. And we could go on and on and on. But for whatever reason, so many of us miss this. So many of us here in North America, we we just miss this whole idea of, of, of the kingdom. We do this with other parts of the Bible too. You know, when you go to, to go on a flight, how... How, how, do you pay attention to the words the, steward, the, the, the flight attendant says at the beginning of the flight? Right? Most of us just kind of tune that out and, and we think about something else. And, and we, we tend to do that with parts of the Bible. And I think we do that with this idea of the kingdom. It's right there. And so as a result, because we, we don't pay attention to this the way we should, we're, we're unfairly hard on Jesus' disciples. We're way too hard on them. And the other Jewish people of Jesus' day... Because of their expectations of Jesus, right? Because if you read through the Gospels and you you read about what Jesus' disciples expected him to do, it's clear that they expected him to do what? They expected him to ride into, into Jerusalem, to destroy the Romans, and to give the kingdom back to Israel. They thought he was going to be a political Messiah, a political savior, and if you've gone to church for any length of time, you, you've probably heard people criticize this kind of thing. I, I've done that before myself. You know, talk about, oh, Jesus' disciples are so silly. They, they, they were so worldly in their thinking. You know, because we know better. We know Jesus didn't come to be a political messiah. Jesus Jesus isn't the kind of king that destroys his enemies. Jesus came to be a, a spiritual savior who rescues us from sin. But what I want to suggest to you this morning is that Jesus' disciples may have understood some parts of the story better than many of us because they understood the idea of a kingdom and they understood that Jesus was the king. The king had arrived, God's king. And the most natural thing for the king to do would have been to ride into Jerusalem and destroy the Romans and establish his reign. That's what David did. That's what kings do. And guess what? That is what Jesus is going to do. We're going to get there later on in the series, but you read through the rest of the scriptures, it, read through the book of Revelation, it is very clear. Almost everything that Jesus' disciples expected him to do, he is still going to do. He is going to ride in on a horse, which sounds anachronistic in 2018, but it's, this is what scripture says. And he is going to claim the throne that rightfully belongs to him. He is going to destroy his enemies. And he is going to reign as a king on a real throne here on earth. It's really going to happen. That sounds crazy. That's what we as Christians believe. That's at the the heart of what we believe. That's why we're here this morning. If we didn't have that hope, we might as well go home today. This is what we believe. So Jesus' disciples didn't really misunderstand as much as we think. What they did misunderstand was the matter of timing. See, along with most of the Jewish people of their day, they thought that the kingdom of God, or the kingdom of heaven, was going to come in its fullness all at once. So it was going to be all there, all at the same time. And they understood when the kingdom of God comes in its fullness then this whole present age of human history is going to come to an end. The kingdoms of this world are going to pass away and crumble in the face of the kingdom of God, right? That's from Daniel's prophecy, right? The the the, the kingdom that, that is coming is going to destroy all other kingdoms. The age to come that we live in or the, sorry, the, the, this present age that we live in is going to pass away and the age to come will begin. The righteous will be resurrected from, from death and, and God is going to create a new heavens and a new earth. And he's going to reign through his Messiah forever and ever. That's what will happen when the kingdom comes in its fullness. And isn't that all, what we believe is still going to happen? What, what Jesus tried to help his disciples understand though was that the kingdom of God does not come in its fullness all at once. The kingdom of God had arrived in, in the coming of Jesus. The kingdom of God was at hand. It had come upon them. But it hadn't arrived in its fullness all at once. So that's the point, by the way, of, the, of, of at least two of the parables that Jesus taught. The parable of the mustard seed and, and the parable of the yeast. Where Jesus said the kingdom of, of heaven is like a like mustard seed. the smallest of all seeds. You put it in the ground and, and from there it grows. Or the kingdom of heaven is like a little bit of yeast. I'm paraphrasing here, but added to a lump of dough and from there it leavens the whole lump. And that's part of what Jesus was trying to help them understand is is, is the kingdom is here, but not all at once. It's, It's started. It's begun. And its fullness is going to come later. In his first coming, Jesus was coming to deal with the real problem in the world, which was not the Romans but it was the sin in our own heart, right? That's what we've talked about throughout this series over and over again. And see, this is why the kingdom of heaven did not come in its fullness all at once, because if Jesus had come and brought the kingdom in its fullness all at once and destroyed all of his enemies, there would have been nobody left. Do you understand? That's the point of the series that we've seen up until now. If he was to have come the way they hoped, there would have been no one, nobody that could have stood before him. Jesus came to deal with the real problem with this world, which was not the Romans, but it was the sin in our own heart. He came to die to pay for that sin. He came to send his Holy Spirit to transform our hearts from the inside out and to cause us to obey king Jesus. And it's only after every tribe and language and people and nation under heaven. It's only after they all have a chance to hear this saving news, only then will the kingdom come in its fullness. But but make no mistake, even though the kingdom is not yet come in its fullness, we're still waiting for that. That doesn't mean it hasn't come at all. It is here. If you have been saved by Jesus, if you've placed your faith in him, you are a part of his kingdom. So how does this work? Here's a way of trying to understand all of this. This is an illustration. It's not perfect. But here's a way of trying to understand how the kingdom can be both here and also not yet here. Think about the way that we celebrate Christmas. This is relevant to some of you at this time of the year. My my mother grew up in a very straight-laced Dutch home. They understood that Christmas was when? December the 25th. So when do you think they celebrated Christmas? December the 25th, of course. When did they set up their Christmas tree? December the 24th. So that they could have it up for December the 25th. Why else would we celebrate Christmas before it's Christmas? The logical Dutch way of thinking. Christmas was either here or it wasn't. All or nothing. Right? That's the way that Jesus' disciples and the other Jewish people thought about the kingdom of God. It'd be nothing and then everything. Everything. But many of you understand it's not not as cut and dried as this, right? Because for many of you, Christmas starts doing its thing November 1st or maybe by December the 1st. By the time December 1st rolls around, Christmas is already at work transforming your home decor and your playlists and your intake of, of unhealthy sweets Christmas arrives and starts doing its thing long before December the 25th rolls around, and you get to take the day off work and open up your presents and so on. This is an imperfect way of trying to understand that when Jesus came the first time, that's like the day we set up the tree. It's the beginning of the season, it's the beginning of the age. When the, Jesus came for the first time, the kingdom of God broke into this world and it began its saving, transforming work. And that work, that, that work of transforming and bringing people into the kingdom and, and of ha- exerting its influence on us and, and, and building the kingdom is going to continue up until the kingdom comes in its fullness when Jesus returns, like he promised. So, this is a way of understanding. When Jesus came, and especially when Jesus rose from the dead, the age to come already began. Even though this present age has not yet come to an end. Another way of thinking about this, of trying to understand this, is of two lines. This line is, is this present age. And this line is the age to come, or the kingdom of God. And Jesus' disciples thought that it was just a straight line. This present age would come to an end, and the age to come and the kingdom of God would begin. What Jesus tried to help his disciples understand is that those lines are actually more like this. This present age is going to continue for quite some time, even though the kingdom of God has already begun. And the two run alongside of each other for this whole era that we live in now, between the first and the second comings of Jesus. So the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is not yet here. Already, but not yet. Now this idea of the kingdom of God being already but not yet here is, is, is a really, really important idea. And we're going to come back to it many times in the next few weeks and months. It, 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 it's, it's one of the most important truths we, we can get our heads around to understand the big story of the Bible. So the, the last section of our series, from January to April, really the whole section of that series is going to be about asking the question, how do we live as citizens of the kingdom of God in this time where it's already here and it's not yet here? What what does that actually look like? How do we do this? That's what the whole third section of our series is is about. So you can look forward to that. And if you have questions, even now, things in your head that you want to ask me, please do that. I would love to Love to talk and even answer some of those questions in the series if we can do that. But what we're going to do first in these next seven weeks between now and December 30th is we're going to focus on Jesus. We're going to do that by going back and we're going to rehash the story that we've told so far but we're going to go back and see how Jesus in his life and death and resurrection fulfills this story how he is the main character of this story in clarity right so as we've told this story i've given little sneak peeks as we get to the end of a sermon but no more sneak peeks these next few weeks is going to be all Jesus all the time showing how he fills and fits all of this so next week tim is going to be preaching on Jesus as the second adam Jesus the, the last adam that, that we really need, the father of a new humanity, the Jesus who succeeded everywhere that the first Adam failed. The week after that, we're going to hear about how Jesus is the, the promised offspring of the woman who comes and crushes the serpent, and we're going to see all the places in the Gospels where we see Jesus in conflict with Satan and, and, and in his death and resurrection, how Jesus fulfills that promise of, of crushing the head of the serpent. And we're going to hear how Jesus is the offspring of Abraham, the one through whom blessing is coming to all the nations, and how that actually happens. We're going to hear how Jesus is, is the high priest of the new covenant. He's the sacrifice of the new covenant. Jesus is the son of David. Jesus is the king forever. We're going to hear how Jesus is our true temple. Jesus is the one in, in whom we meet with God. He's the one who rescues us from spiritual exile. And we're going to finally the hero. Oh, Jesus is the one who gives us life and brings us into the age to come. And so we get seven more weeks together of, of seeing clearly how the story of the Bible culminates in Jesus, in whom all the promises of God are yes and amen. I'm so thrilled for these next few weeks. I've been looking forward to these next few weeks for a really long time And I want to share with you my heart for us as a church in these next few weeks is that we together would behold our Savior. I want us to see and I want us to be stunned by the glory of Christ. I want us as a church to to grow in loving Jesus more than we ever have before. See, that's been my experience as I've grown to understand how Jesus fulfills the story of the Bible. As I've grown to understand that Jesus is so much more than just my personal Savior. Yes, he is that, but he's so much more than that. He's also the fulfillment of the story of Adam and and Noah and Abraham and David and Israel. And, And as I've seen that, I've grown to love Jesus more than I ever have before. And I want that to keep going. I'm not done. And I want us all to experience that more and more. I know that none of you feel like you're done. And so that's been my prayer for us as a church as we go into these weeks. Lord, let us see your glory. Holy Spirit, show Christ to us. Let us see his glory. Let us be stunned and transformed by this vision of the glory of Christ. So would you join me in praying that for yourself? Would you join me in praying that for us as a church in these coming weeks? I can't imagine God feeling reluctant to answer that prayer. We need to see Jesus. And by his will, we will do that. in terms of this morning, I can't think of a better way for us to finish our time together than than what we're going to do. And I hope you can understand now why we did the service in this way. Because we are now going to get to celebrate the Lord's Supper. Then we're going to get to witness a baptism. In the Lord's Supper, we're going to celebrate that in Jesus, the new covenant has arrived. Full forgiveness of our sins has been given to us once and for all by the sacrifice of Jesus in the Lord's Supper we also are going to look to the to the future fullness of the kingdom that's been promised to us. Right? Jesus said on when he instituted the Lord's Supper with his disciples, he said that he wasn't going to drink of the fruit of the vine again until the kingdom of God had fully come. So as we eat, we look forward to the fact that the fullness of the kingdom is coming. And we will drink the fruit of the vine with a risen Christ in a real body on a real earth someday when the kingdom has fully and finally come. We proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And then baptism. One baptism this week, Melvin, and at least two more next week. Baptism is such an important part of, of being a part of the kingdom of Christ. With everything we've heard about the story of the kingdom, listen to these words from Matthew 28. Jesus said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Do you hear there? That is the words of the king of the world. And then he said, Go therefore and make disciples of All nations. Do you hear that? That's the words of the covenant with Abraham. In you, all nations of the earth will be blessed. Jesus says this is how it happens. Go make disciples of all nations. Doing what? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. To the end of this present age when finally he returns in the age to come is here. Baptism is the sign that we've entered the kingdom of Jesus. Baptism is our citizenship ceremony in the kingdom of heaven. I'm going to pray for us now, and then we are going to come and we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. So let's, let's turn our hearts in that direction and ask for God's blessing and help. Heavenly Father, I thank you that Messiah has come. I thank you that you fulfilled all of your promises in Jesus. You kept them all. The King has come. And we've gathered here today, Lord, as citizens of your kingdom. Help us, Lord, to not just think of this as a nice idea, but to know that this is real. Our citizenship, Lord, in your kingdom means so much more than our citizenship in any country here on earth, because yours is the kingdom that will last forever. Help this, Lord, to sink in over these next weeks and months in ways that it perhaps hasn't before. Help, Lord, our own faith to be built up this morning as we remember you as the faithful God who who didn't leave his people hanging forever. You came, Jesus. And so we can trust you in our struggles, in our waiting. As we look to you, Lord, to fulfill your promises to us, we can have full assurance of faith. Lord, as we come now to the table, we remember the broken body and the shed blood of our Lord Jesus. And we proclaim that death until he comes again. And we look to the day, Lord, where we won't have to do this anymore. Come soon, Lord Jesus.